What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Wednesday, May 24th. It's been about a week since we come out with an episode, but glad to be back. We've got a lot of NBA and NHL playoff action going on. Just had the PGA Championship finish up this past weekend. So we'll be talking about that a little bit today. And then we'll have a little rundown segment at the end. But we'll go NBA, NHL, then PGA, then rundown. Uh, Hope you guys are liking the new rundown segment. I think I said it last episode. It's a little bit of a newer thing to us, but I think it's I think it's running smoothly. I think it actually helps us get through everything we want to talk about without having to talk about everything super in depth. And so that's kind of the point of that segment is to, um, you know, if you're newer here, if you've listened to our past episodes and you haven't listened to our couple recent episodes where we've introduced the rundown segment, that's kind of what we do at the end, which I think is actually one of the coolest parts of the episode is, is that rundown segment. I kind of just like, you know, chopping it up about random stuff in the sports world. So um, yeah, that's what we're, what we're going to be doing today. Obviously we've got some, some pretty lopsided playoff a- action going on. And that's kind of the whole point of today's episode, at least in terms of talking about NBA and NHL is really just talking about how lopsided it's been and maybe why this is occurring. And then also kind of just talking preemptively talking about the finals that we will probably see from both of these leagues and kind of just seeing where we go from there. So I've got Matt on the other end here, Matt, how are you? Yeah, I I'll take all the credit for the rundown section idea. Hayden's praising, uh, praising our, our execution of that on the podcast. And that was, uh, that was my, that was my baby. So, yeah, it was. um, yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense. I'm like, okay, there's all these other podcasts that do, you know, kind of shorter segments just talking about random stuff that doesn't deserve a, a whole topic necessarily, or something that is a, you know, a 20 minute conversation. Um, but st- you know, important or, or interesting or weird or cool stuff that happened during the week that, we'd still like Hayden said, kind of just, kind of just briefly mention and discuss for a little bit. Um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll take the credit for that. And, um, and yeah, I mean, other than that, I'm, I'm, I don't really, I don't really have that much else. I mean, not, not like any of these NHL or NBA playoffs have had much either, which I know that like, that's kind of what we're going to discuss for the, for the major portion of today. Um, so yeah, so Hayden, go ahead. All right, let's get into the NBA. So after some thrilling second round matchups, we had um, some obviously, well, it's it's been a very weird West or Western and Eastern Conference finals. I can't even talk. It's been a little bit weird um, having, you know, well, you had the Nuggets sweep the Lakers and then we almost saw the Heat sweep the Celtics last night. The, the Celtics ended up winning game four. So it's three one currently and it's going back to uh Boston for for game five because Boston is a higher seed by a long shot but um yeah we've just had a very very lopsided uh conference final run here for for the NBA and the NHL but again we're gonna get get into NHL a little bit later on so I just kind of wanted to know uh why we why why we've been seeing this I want to ask Matt first maybe why he thinks we've been seeing the conference finals being so lopsided I think it's probably going to be easier, uh, easier to, to tell about the Lakers and the Nuggets series more than the Celtics and the Heat series. So if he wants to go after one or the other, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, but we can maybe we can just each talk about one, um, you know, in depth and then give a little bit of our comments on on each other's comments. That's kind of what I'm looking for here. And then we'll also get into a little bit of the preview, I guess, 
So you could say for the finals, which is most likely going to be the Nuggets and Heat, barring anything crazy from the Celtics winning three straight games from here on out. So Matt, give your thoughts on either of these series. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll go with the West first. Um, we we nobody thought the Nuggets were as good as they actually are. I think is the is the overwhelming uh, n- you know narrative that's going to be coming out of this series and really the playoffs. I think overall, because even I mean, I think regardless of who comes out of the East, I think the Nuggets are are probably and they're going to be huge favorites to win the championship. And I think they probably they probably will. So that's kind of my takeaway is like you know they were the one seed in the West, which you know over the course of of the last few years. The West has gotten, I think, overall a little bit worse or at least not thought of as highly as as it was or not as competitive as it it had been for the better part of the last five to 10 years. I mean, there was a period, uh, you know, probably, you know, seven, eight years ago when essentially kind of in the middle of the Warriors dynasty where that was. It, it, it the West was impossible. It was all the best teams in the NBA were in the West and the East was just, you know, they had, they were like 500 teams, not, not 500 teams making the playoffs. They were teams that had a 500 record that were making the playoffs and, and were horrible. And, you know, and then you're looking at it now and it's almost like, okay, well, the East is actually a lot more competitive this year. We saw, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks had the most wins uh, out of, out of the entire, um, out of the entire league. And then even when it came to like the, like the Sixers and Celtics series from, from the last round, um, if the Sixers had won, well, if the Sixers had gotten to the finals, they actually would have had home court advantage in the finals, because you have to remember with the NBA, it, they do home court advantage in the finals by your regular season record. So for, to a certain extent, it matters how many games you win in the regular season, despite the fact that none of these teams actually try to try to win in the regular season. And so despite the fact that, you know, the 76ers were a three seed, they would have had home court advantage over the Nuggets who are a one seed, you know, in, in the NBA finals, if they had gotten there simply because they had the better record. So I think, you know, that kind of just goes to show that over the course of the last few years, the, the, the dynamic, the power dynamic between, you know, how great these teams are coming out of the East versus the West has kind of shifted a little bit towards, towards the East in the, in the, in the past few years. And obviously, you know, a couple of years ago, you had the jazz who were, you know, a dominant regular season team when they still had Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and then uh, Joe Inglaze and all those guys. Uh, obviously they never turned that into anything whatsoever when it came to the playoffs. And that was kind of the, the one big reason why they decided to blow that thing up. Really um, look out for the jazz though, because uh they um trying to think of who was the Danny Ainge. Well, you, he used to be the jam for the Celtics uh, and he, kind of was the big man or he was the, you know, the kind of the reason why, or the, the, the brain power behind uh, the Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, uh, Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo team that, that won the championship in 20 in 2008. And then he also built like the kind of the current version of what the Celtics are, or or at least drafted Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So uh, Danny Angels is probably the, the best GM in the entire NBA. He left Boston because Brad Stevens took over. He Brad Stevens was the head coach and he took over the GM spot. And then Danny Ainge went to uh went to Utah and basically traded away everything. I mean, they traded to Donovan Mitchell, they traded to Rudy Gobert, but got I think they won every one of those trades. And obviously, we saw this season the Jazz actually started out pretty hot and they were like low key trying to tank and it kind of not didn't really end up in anything um, there, but, but they have so many assets for the future. And I think that the jazz are going to be good again, but anyway, not, not to, not to go on a a 20 minute tangent here about the, uh, about the Donovan Mitchell led Utah jazz, but I think that, right. The the power dynamics have shifted towards kind of the East here. Right. And so we go into the playoffs thinking that really, you know, okay, whoever comes out of the East is probably going to win. 
either that or on the other hand you look at the west and the and the teams that were represented in the west a lot of them had star power but those stars were either hurt during the regular season, didn't play as much during the regular season, whatever it may be. Your two prime examples being the Phoenix Suns and the Gold State Warriors. So obviously the Suns, you know, we kind of know their up and down history over the last couple of years, losing the finals to the Bucks and then having an early playoff exit against the Mavericks last year to Luka Doncic. They obviously, you know, kind of get rid of their role players and bring in Kevin Durant. And, you know, they they hadn't lost a game with Kevin Durant since he since he gotten there, you know, going into the playoffs. They lost game one, you know, to the Clippers and then they swept them from there. So they won four straight. And then they're going into the Nuggets series and everybody's like, well, the fun, the Phoenix, the, the Suns are going to win. Like they, they, they nobody really gave the Nuggets a chance and the Nuggets won in six. And it was really I mean, it for most of the games, like it wasn't even that competitive. Um, you know, a couple of the times the Suns got home court advantage and whatnot, but, but yeah, so that was kind of the first iteration of a team where, Hey, this is a team in the West that is probably better than the Nuggets or should be deserving of a higher seed than the Nuggets. Just, they just, you know, had whatever with the trades and whatever and Kevin Durant, because it's like, you know, if a four seed, you know, gets Kevin Durant nine, nine games before the playoffs start, then you're probably going to value that team a little bit higher than, than a four seed. And similarly with the Warriors, I mean, this is a team that last year was a five seed going into the playoffs and won the entire championship, right? As a five seed kind of similar vein of this year where they didn't really, you know, Steph Curry rested a lot. Clay Thompson didn't play a lot during the regular season on their road trips. They basically didn't play any of their starters, right? So they kind of knew that they could kind of coast during the regular season and get in the playoffs and, and obviously, you know, do some damage as they always do. That came up short, obviously against the Lakers, but, but right. So, and even the Lakers themselves who made it to the Western conference finals, I think that I, I didn't necessarily want to talk to talk about them first because they actually did kind of prove everybody wrong, or I guess, well, <laughs> anytime a Lakers team is good, is not going to, is going to be grounds for people who were insane fans of the Lakers being like, I told you so, cause we have LeBron, but like in general, I think that there's other teams in the West that you could have pointed to saying like, okay, yeah, well, the Nuggets just tried hard during the regular season, but there's all these other teams that are going to, you know, that are going to be able to, to give them a fight at least. And they haven't really gotten a fight from anybody. I mean, they beat the Timberwolves in five in the first series, obviously, you know, they had the Suns uh, in six and then they just swept the Lakers. And so I, I think to, to kind of sum it all up here uh, and then I'll let Hayden go, go on about the Celtics, especially since, well, I guess they're not really Hayden used to like all the Boston teams I guess they're not really like the Celtics specifically aren't really his favorite team anymore but um but but anyway uh this series was just I mean it was it was what you thought it was going to be well I don't think most people thought I thought the Nuggets were going to win um I didn't think it was going to be this dominant but credit to them man like I so I saw two two stats and then I'll and then I'll hand it to Hayden um Jamal Murray is the first player to average 30 points while shooting 50 40 90 in a conference finals series. Now he got helped out a little bit because there was only four games. And so it's harder to average 30 points on. And by the way, 54, 40, 90 shooting. If you guys don't know, it's 50% field goal percentage, like in the, in the inside the arc, 40% from three and then 90% from free, from free throws. And that's kind of like a, I, they call it like the triple crown of, of like shooting in basketball, which I don't know why they choose 50, 40, 90, but whatever. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a century mark. And so he got there in addition to averaging 30 points throughout the series. And obviously, like I said, it's easier to do that in a four game sample than it is in a seven game series, but uh, either way that was kind of, you know, that was the first stat. And the second one uh, was that the, the, the nuggets actually have never um, swept an opponent in a playoff series before. And this was the first time they did it. And it was against the LeBron, Anthony Davis, you know, 
running the team back from 2020 that won the championship in the bubble. And, and, you know, you're th- this team is, is inevitable. It's going up against, you know, Jokic and Murray who haven't had any playoff experience before. Well, you know, that, that all went out the window and, and the nuggets really proved that they were the better team. So I'm definitely, I'm glad that they won. I'm, you know, I, and I said this on the last podcast too, like get the nut, get the, get LeBron and, and Lakers out of here, get them out of my face. I want to see a new team win. Um, and as much as it was, you know, should have been drama filled or whatever, I, I love that too, because you go on Twitter and everybody's like, well, time for the reps to fix the game. And, you know, oh, they're called Scott Foster's out there calling fouls on Jokic that shouldn't be fouled because he knows that the Lakers should be winning a couple games, at least to make this a little bit interesting, but that didn't happen. Or it's like, at least either that happened, either that didn't happen or the Nuggets were just so good that they, they were able to beat the script and they beat the refs uh, at, at kind of at, at cheating the game in the first place. So uh, I'm very happy for the Nuggets, but I think that, right, it just speaks to the fact that this is a team that, has been good in the regular season and the playoffs in the last three or four years, but just hasn't even really, I mean, they hadn't even made a conference. Well, they made the conference finals in the bubble year, the 2020 year, and then lost to LeBron and AD. So this is kind of a revenge tour for that, but, but hadn't really done anything um, up until now and and has absolutely run through these playoffs. So I think they're deserving of it all. And and again, I mean, I, like we can talk a little bit about the preview for the finals, but I, I don't see anybody else winning the, winning the championship other than the, other than the Nuggets. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And honestly, the two things, well, the, the first thing I was going to say about the Nuggets is Jamal Murray, because everybody's talking about uh, Nikola Jokic. You know, obviously he was he's a two time MVP, one of two years in a row. And now he's he's the star of the team and he, and he got the Western Conference Finals MVP and everything like that. But I think arguably like it could have been Jamal. They could have given the Western Conference Final MVP to Jamal Murray be, because of what he did, because of his 50, 40. 90 stat line or I guess like you know yeah shooting average or whatever like that and then yeah he he averaged over 30 points he had uh 31 37 37 and 25 in those four games that they that they swept the Lakers in and he's been yeah he's just been balling I I remember my so my one of my roommates he sent me a bet it was, it was like a it was like a fine or um what's it called like a series long bet where essentially you just bet like the point totals. He did it on prize picks. You bet the point totals and rebound totals. He, he did like a six legger. He built this six legger bet or parlay um, of a bunch of players, like rebounds or PRA or points or whatever for the whole series. And so the way that that works is that only counts for the first four games because, you know, you could go to seven games and then the it would, every player's total would basically definitely go over. So it only counts for the first, first four games of that series. And so he sent it to me and I, and it was looking, it was, it was looking fine. And this was before the series even started before the heat series started too. And it was looking pretty all right, except for Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray's line was, I think it was like 101 and a half. And he had to get that over five, over four games. And I was like 101 and a half points. And I was like, dude, I think that's probably the only, really risky part of this bet and he ended up crushing it like he had i think by by the third game he had like 96 of those 101 points and i, and I was like okay yeah he's definitely gonna get it now but yeah it was it, it was a really good bet on his part he actually ended up hitting it so he, he had a six legger on uh on price picks and so he turned five dollars into 125 which is pretty crazy so shout out shout out my roommate nathan um i, I gotta get him on the podcast pretty soon but yeah, so Jamal Murray, I think, was was really the star of the series. And then, obviously, you had the other thing that stood out to me that is just kind of like a funny thing to point out is Nikola Jokic's, I think he had either two or three of those threes at the end of the shot clock where he would just step back behind the three-point line and, like, 
cock the ball behind his head just, and then yeah, just heave it over his head. Yeah. And, and then just chuck it over seven foot uh, or not seven. Yeah. Basically seven foot AD and just swish it at the end of the shot clock. Like it was nothing that those were always just crazy to see. Um, but I, it seems like he's better at making those than he is at making actual threes. He's still a pretty good three point shooter considering he's a seven foot center, but um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say about the Nuggets Lakers series. Congrats to the Nuggets. I, I really wanted them to win too. I want them to win the whole thing just because it's their first finals trip as a team, as an, like as a Nuggets organization. It's yeah. Their first yeah. I totally finals. forgot to mention that too. Yeah. It's their first ever finals. So it would be sweet to, to see him win it their first time getting there. So for the heat Celtics, I think it's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory here. Obviously, you know, Jimmy Butler, I, I think at this point, he's one of the best playoff players of all time. Um, but it's not even really uh, Jimmy Butler who I want to focus on here. It's the role players. So if you, if you look at any, really any like article and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, stealing this in a way from articles, but I'm really just stealing. I really just looked up this, this one article just to see the names of all the heap role players that, you know, that have basically gone undrafted and have become super, super important in these playoff series. So it's, it's kind of a combination of four guys here. It's Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, who those are two guys that if you're not a huge basketball fan, you probably have never heard of them in your life. Um, and then you've got Max Struess, who's been like, he he's kind of had a big role in the heat for the past couple of years. And even in the last couple, you know, playoff runs that they've had in, in recent years, because they have been in this spot for, for a couple of years now. And then Duncan Robinson is the fourth guy. Those four guys uh, over this series per game, they average a combined 61.3 points, which looking at it, like, you don't really think, I mean, four guys scoring 61 points combined, fine. But again, these guys all went undrafted. These guys are all guys that you don't really, that you would never expect to have this big of an effect, even as a combined four guys in a, in a playoff series, you would never expect them to have this big of an influence on a playoff series, especially uh, in, in Eastern Conference Finals playoff series. And they've just all been balling out like crazy. And so I, that's kind of kind of what I think it came down to. These four role players on the Heat, they just kind of outplay the role players on the Celtics. Like Marcus Smart started shooting pretty bad from three. He was he was actually pretty good from three coming into uh, this series against the Heat, and then he kind of just started sucking from the from the three point line against the Heat. Kind of just unfortunately, Al Horford also had some struggles at the three point line, but they were for but the Heat were forcing Al Horford to take threes. I think that's kind of something that they've done really well. And I'm, I'm saying were as in, you know, like the heat have already won, which we expect them to win. But um, you know, in, in those three games that those, that they won those three straight games, the three first games of the series that they won, I think the heat did a really, really good job of kind of just taking Jason Tatum away from the game and then forcing Al Horford and Marcus smart and those guys to really come up big. And, and they haven't really been a very good three point shooting team across this series as a whole. So that's probably the biggest part for me. The other thing is, um, so Jason Tatum, there's like, there's a narrative around Jason Tatum that essentially says that he's one of the, one of the most clutch players of all time in the NBA, like that the NBA has ever seen, but that's clutch in the sense of like making the last shot. So I think there's some crazy stat out there that like, he's, he's basically 50% when shooting a shot that, is either going to tie a game or it's going to win the game for the Celtics and with like under 20 seconds left to go in the game. 
uh, which is which is a crazy clip. I mean, if you think about it, like 50 percent, obviously not even that there's not even that many shot opportunities that you have under 20 seconds to either win the game or tie it. Um, and so Jason Tatum has taken a lot of those. I think he's like he, he's something like uh, f- maybe like 15 for 30 or something like that in in game winning shots or game tying shots. And so obviously that 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 is a pretty crazy clip. But when you look at Jason Tatum from a standpoint of like just coming up big when he really needs to, I don't I, I'm going to make the argument that he's not really all that like he he doesn't really show up in big moments. And obviously you you have players that are the star of their team. They just sometimes they just can't do it like they just go out there and they can't really. I guess, like piece together their whole game and build their whole entire team around themselves. I get that. And there's, that's a lot, that's a lot of pressure for Jason Tatum and players like him. But at the same time, I think that other player, other star players are just naturally scoring more and having a bigger influence on their team than Jason Tatum is, especially in, in, in these playoff series. Um, I think so far in the playoffs, this is probably like one of his worst playoff outings or one of his worst showings in, in general in any stretch of games that he's had because he just kind of goes up and down. Like obviously they won the game last night and he was a huge part of that. He had, I think it was 34, 11 and seven or something like that. So he was a huge part of their win last night. A lot of people would argue that he's the reason that they won. I kind of agree. Um, But at the same time, I think that just his like kind of up and down scoring and rebounding and everything like that and assist levels. I just think that, he's been a little bit of a sell bot, I guess you could say for lack of a better term here in these playoff series. And so I'm not, I'm not blaming the Celtics um, failure or like, I'm not, you know, lack of success for on Jason Tatum himself. I don't want to pin that all on Jason Tatum. Cause I, I think he's a really good player. He's, he's one of my favorite players and Matt kind of mentioned it. They Celtics kind of are my favorite team, but I mean, I don't really care that much about the NBA. Like I don't really care that much about my, favorite teams anyway because i've never seen a celtics game so like i you know i wouldn't really have any reason to really really like them or be passionate about them so i don't really care that they're losing against the heat i honestly kind of want to see jimmy butler in the finals so that's uh that that tells you what kind of fan i am but um yeah so essentially i just think that like jason tatum his his play this playoffs has has been a little bit wishy-washy and tough to watch at times and then also the role players on the heat are just a lot better in my opinion. Um, and, and they've, that's really been, uh, you know, I guess what the narrative should be covering rather than just talking about Jimmy Butler and, and Grant Williams and how they had, you know, a scuffle in game two that led to Grant Williams poking the bear. Everybody was talking about that, um, in Jimmy Butler, but I think it's really been the role players that have, that have really been the, the stars of the series. So, yeah. Yeah. They've been the stars of the series and, and, Yes, from performance standard, as 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 Hayden was mentioning, kind of, you know, Gabe Vincent had like 30 points out of nowhere in game three, um, by example. But they're, they just try harder. And this was evident in every single one of their series so far. It was the same thing against the Bucks. It was the same against the Knicks. And, and now, you know, it's it's we're seeing it here against the Celtics where it's like every loose ball, you can count on a Miami Heat player to go and get that thing. Like with that, like without hesitation, you know, and, and they're going to be diving on the floor to get it. And they're going to, you know, get back on defense. They're going to run in transition. So all of these things that, you know, the little things that add up to a successful game of basketball are just things that the heat do well. And I think that's all credit to Eric Spolster, their coach who, you know, is, is probably the best coach in the league at this point. Um, 
because he always seems to get this level of effort and, and performance out of his guys at this point in the season. And that was, I think, kind of the big thing coming in is obviously right. You know, they they didn't perform well in the, in the regular season at all. I was on the podcast here. I bet the season win total over uh, for the Heat and absolutely got crushed on that. And of course, this is what I see. This is the see, This is the team I saw. So I bet on a team during the regular season that ultimately made it to the conference finals as an eight seed and they couldn't do anything in the regular season. And now they're, you know, now they're out here killing it. But, um, but right, they lost the first play-in game to the Hawks. They're losing the second play-in game uh, to the Bulls with three minutes left. And it's like, there was three minutes there where the Heat were actually going to not even be in the playoffs. And now here they are probably probably going to the NBA finals, right? That's just, a, it's a crazy sliding doors moment, but it just, it proves that, you know, coaching really matters and trying hard, get this Hayden, trying hard in a professional sports league will get you places. Wow. That's, that's crazy. I mean, it's, Matt. it's almost like, it's almost like it's a game that you have to try hard to win. Like, yeah, especially when it comes to a championship level, you know, uh team or, or, or series we're at right now. So yeah, it just is, it's very evident who wants to win the series more. And I think that's the heat. And obviously, you know, the Celtics, right. They had the coaching issue. Ime Udoka last year, you know, kind of comes in as his first year head coach and gets them all the way to the finals. Right. Loses to the Warriors. Okay, cool. You know, you, you lost to the, to the, basically the lat, the dynasty of the last 10 years. Uh, obviously the, the incident with Udoka happened earlier this season. And then it was pretty much like, I think it was like a week before the season started. And, and so Missoula had to come in and, you know, he's a younger guy. There was actually, I don't know if you saw this Hayden, um, Jimmy Butler's Marquette team beat Joe Missoula. He played for West Virginia and they beat him in yeah. like in the March Madness tournament or whatever. And it's like, that's the craziest thing too, is like the, you <laughs> see all these pictures of like these actual NBA players right now who are stars still and doing everything for their team, beating coaches from the other team. And it's just like, how, how are they doing this at this level? Yeah. I, one other thing about Joe Missoula, and this will be the last thing that we talk about for the NBA, but he just looks so like villainous when he walks on the he's, sidelines. He's a little crazy. Like, yeah, it's like kind of psychotic. Yeah, he just he, he also looks unbothered by anything that happens. Like he could probably get like slapped in the face and he would just keep a straight face. Like you yeah. just you never see him like freaked out or you never see him like yelling at anybody. He kind of which I guess is is very reminiscent or very indicative of a young coach. A lot of young coaches are, are like that nowadays, I feel like. But yeah, it's just like I think he's like 30 years old and he's just kind of like kind of I don't know he, he just like keeps walking on the sidelines and doesn't really say much and doesn't really like look that offended by anything it's just kind of weird but uh, yeah but it's like his eyes are always like bulging out of their sockets and like it's just kind of yeah. he's like he has such a straight he was just he always looks upset and it's like well he should be because yeah. of how his team is performing yeah true <laughs> um but I, I do think yeah to some extent he kind of got thrown into it um at the last second and, and and again they played well in the regular season because they got hot from three all the role players performed you know up to the standards of what they were supposed to and then now we get to the playoffs and it's like it's a lot more about effort it's a lot more about coaching and and i think it proves that that he's kind of not the guy for the job a lot of people are saying that he should be fired after they lose the series i don't know if they should directly fire him right away, especially because of what happened to Yudoka earlier in the season, they just haven't had enough time to really kind of, I think gel with, or, or at least, you know, even have a coaching search to begin with, because it was a week before the season started, they just had to promote Missoula right away. So I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, I guess, kind of how that goes. I was going to say, um, I was going to say one more thing. I'm, I'm forgetting it now, but I guess if I don't remember it, then it's fine. Um, move on to the NHL. 
So similar to the NBA in which uh, both teams in the conference finals were, well, teams from each side of the conference finals, uh, each went up 3-0 in their first three games. The NHL conference finals are the exact same way. Uh, So the Vegas Golden Knights are up 3-0 against the Dallas Stars and the Florida Panthers are up 3-0 against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, And so obviously now, you know, this is kind of what we have. The games have been, I think, a lot better, Um, obviously, you know, closer in score, especially to what, cause I made this point in the podcast last week as well, where a lot of these hockey games have been like, you know, you get to the second halfway through the second period and one team's already up four to one. You're like, all right, well, I, I don't really want to watch this anymore. Cause I kind of know who's going to win. A lot of these games have been uh, more entertaining, actually the first four games total. So each of the, each of the two games, each of the first two games in each of the two series, all, so all four games total went to overtime. The last two games, obviously didn't but but we're still close the the Panthers only won one to nothing in game three uh and the Knights kind of kind of ran it up a little bit against the Stars last night um but obviously it looks like we're gonna end up with a similar lopsided result uh for for each of the series here and so my question to Hayden is do we think that'll happen and actually I mean by the time you're listening to this uh either one or both series is probably going to be over uh the Panthers play the Hurricanes tonight uh it actually yeah in like an hour here and so um the series literally might be over in like three hours but I'll ask him the question anyway oh I remember what I was gonna say about the Celtics um and I'm not gonna go too long in this but they actually they're still alive and I don't know if Hayden you want to comment on this a little bit but like they won game four in Miami they're gonna be favored in game five at home okay it's three two you go back to Miami you're probably gonna be favored again in Miami and, you know, if you get up off the mat and, the, you know, the kind of the momentum switches and everything and they find a way to win, you know, one more game in Miami, it, I think it anything is kind of up for grabs um, or at least, you know, for what it's worth. Could it be a seven game series? Could they actually make this a game, make this a series, not only make this a series, but even possibly win it? Yeah. And you saw um, if you didn't see, you know, now, but Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown both said before game four. It may honestly probably just as like a media stunt or like a you know just saying it just to sound hard, but they both said Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart when they were asked about I don't know about like what they're doing to prepare for the Heat, they both said basically just don't let us win Game Four, like don't 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 yeah. give us one, just end the series now if you're the Heat, like you should end it now, don't let up at all because we you know if we do win one then they kind of just implied like, Hey, there's, there's, you know, you got a whole different beast coming, but yeah, yeah I don't, now, I don't know. I don't think that we'll see that happen, but. Right. Yeah. And and you, if you're the player in that circuit, if you're Marcus smart, you're right, a guy who's always been, you know, kind of a glue guy, scrappy, you know, diving on the yeah. floor, getting hurt. If you're, if you're Marcus smart in that scenario, what are you going to say? Oh yeah. I think they got us, man. They, I think, yeah. I think we're just going to lose the series. No, you're going to be like, of course, you know, to be scared of us. If, if we get, if we get one game here, but no, it's serious. It's like, there's three games in the series left. Boston's going to have two games, two of those games at home. They have to win one game in Miami in a game in which if they get there, they'll probably be favored in a game six in Miami. So it could get interesting in which case actually we probably, we, we, we'd probably have another episode of the podcast come out before or at least like during ish, I think game seven, if it gets there. So we'll be able to talk about that plenty if it happens, um, but didn't want to spend too much time on it because right at this point, the heat only need to win one of the next uh, three games here. So obviously we're on the NHL topic. I just kind of had to mention that for the NBA and, and I got through the entire introduction of the NHL topic. So I'll ask this question, Aiden, uh, do we think it'll happen? Do we think that both series will end up being uh, sweeps or will we get some regression the other way, seeing that all these games could have gone either way to begin with? I'm going to go ahead and give you a concrete answer here for honestly, probably one of the first, not one of the first times, but I like it. I'm, 
I'm going to go out and I'm going to be confident in my answer. And I'm going to say that I think the Golden Knights will sweep the Stars. And I think the the Hurricanes are probably going to win tonight. And I don't really have much rhyme or reason to why I think the Hurricanes are going to win tonight. The interesting thing about both of these series is, well, the interesting thing about one, I guess, and like the differences in both. Obviously, they're both 3-0 right now. The Knights are over the Stars right now. And then the, the Panthers are over the um, the Hurricanes right now. But the interesting, the interesting thing is that the Panthers are the lower seed compared to the Hurricanes. So they won both of the first games that were in Carolina, which is really hard to do, obviously. They won both of those games in Carolina. So then it went to Florida for game three. They won game three, and tonight it's in Florida again. And basically, so, basically the exact same situation as the Heat had where they won yeah. both games in Boston and could have closed it out in a sweep game four in Miami. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's actually going to be the same result. I think that, you know, just like the Celtics took the game over over Miami and and both teams are in Florida. That's crazy that, you yeah. know, the Panthers are in Florida and the Heat are in Florida, too. But and you had Florida um, Atlantic go to the final four in March Madness. It's a it's a South Florida party up in this. Yeah, that's that's very true. I didn't even think about that. Wow. Um. So, yeah, I, th- I think that the that the Hurricanes are somehow going to pull out tonight's game. They're just a, a better team. I think they like they have a lot more potential of just going off in a game than the stars do. The the Golden Knights, like, this is what I'll say about the Golden Knights over the stars. They just don't they don't really play that well. And I've I've read a lot of articles saying that the Golden Knights just aren't playing their best hockey at all, and they're still just winning. Like it, it just makes no sense. Uh last game, I remember I was watching last game, and once they went up, so actually. This is a this is a pretty interesting thing too about last the game three of the Stars Golden Knight series. Um, so Jake Ottinger or Ottinger, whatever, however he spells, I mean pronounce his last name. Um, I couldn't spell it either if you asked me to. So Jake Ottinger, he's he's their the Stars starting goalie, and he got pulled I think after like the first seven minutes of the game because he let up three goals in the first seven minutes or seven and a half minutes of game three against the Golden Knights. So he got pulled, and they put in their backup goalie who's I think kind of a veteran at this point he's 30 years old or something like that and he's he's had a lot of NHL experience (coughs) he just died yeah I just did I'd I'll probably leave that in there not kind of out um just for just for fun but uh yeah so the backup goalie came in and I think he only let in one more goal and then the stars ended up scoring one but they ended up still losing by by a significant amount but when the Golden Knights went up 2-0 in this game three, it was actually the first time that any that either team, either the Knights or the Stars, had led by more than one goal throughout the whole series up until that point. So, wow. through the, yeah, through the first two games, neither team had led. And again, I mean, the, the Golden Knights were up 2-0 at this point, and they're, they've gone up 3-0 since. Well, yeah, and the first two games went to overtime. So that actually yeah, so it makes the entire sense. point that you just made. <laughs> yeah, right, but. Still, I mean, it's it's just kind of surprising, yeah. like you you know, right? Because even during the even during the first period, like oh, you get two quick goals and then the team comes back with one, yeah, 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 exactly. That, and that t- that makes total sense. That happens all the time. So, um, and it happened in game three. I mean, they they had three goals in seven minutes in the first seven minutes. So, yeah, it's just like the Golden Knights just haven't really been playing that well. I think the Stars, they're I think their strong suit mainly is defense and goaltending. I mean, Jake Ottinger's had a pretty good season so far. But he's just kind of fallen apart recently, and I think their defense, their strong suit, just isn't really playing that well. Um, I think they have a couple captains on defense, and 
they just haven't, yeah, they haven't really been, been able to, you know, get in front of many shots. Um, there's, I think there's another, maybe it's the Hurricanes Panthers series. It's one of these, it's one of them where like the team that's losing the series 3-0 has like significantly outshot the other team. I, I think it's the Hurricanes that have, that have outshot the Panthers by a lot. And it's just the Panthers are making their shots basically like they're just better at making their shots um also and that's also a a very uh or, or like i'm paying homage here to sergey Bobrovsky, who is the panthers goalie he has been absolutely outstanding and yeah. i don't know if matt was going to talk about him but like this may be one of the best outings or showings that we've ever seen by an nhl goalie in a playoff series ever like i i, have, I haven't been watching hockey long enough to know what other goalies have have done in the past really or if there's been a, a showing or an outing as as good as this one by by Bobrovsky but he is just like he's saving everything I mean he's I think he's averaging probably I mean with how much the the Panthers score again I haven't looked this up but throughout this series I would hazard a guess that he's probably saving like on average like almost 40 40 shots a game which is insane especially because a lot of these games have gone into overtime or you know the first two games of the series went into overtime. So he probably saved, he probably had at least had 50 saves in those games. So he, he probably is averaging 40 or more saves per game so far this series. So we'll, so we'll see what he does tonight again. And by the time you guys are listening to this, I might already be wrong and <laughs> the hurricanes might already be swept. Um, but I, I do predict the hurricanes to win tonight. I think they're going to get one back. I don't know about the rest of the series. Like, you know, the Panthers could just go to Carolina in game five and just absolutely kill the hurricanes and make it four, you know, four, one, um, and winning game five. But I think that, uh, I think the golden Knights will probably complete the sweep just because the stars, they just don't look good at all. Like they have, they have some, some, uh, some deep wounds to fix and to, to heal. I think, um, the golden Knights, again, they're not even really playing that well, but they just happen to win games. So that's, that's my commentary on it. I don't know what, what you want to add, Matt, but go ahead. Yeah, not not too much. It's so funny that you say that, you, at least from what you've seen and, and kind of everything, that the Golden Knights aren't playing that well. Because I was going to make the point that nobody really thought that they were going to be able to win really any series, much less you know get to the get to the Stanley Cup Finals and even have a chance. Well, they're probably the favorite to to win the whole thing now. They were a one seed coming into the playoffs, and obviously you know I mean they faced off against the Jets in the first round. I think me and Hayden both picked the Jets to upset them upset them in the first round, and I know that in another version of our predictions. We had the Oilers beating them in the second round, both of us. Uh, so we've been fading the golden Knights since the beginning of the playoffs, which has obviously been the exact wrong, the opposite uh, of the correct situation that has, that has turned out here. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I mean, that's, that's kind of the interesting part about this is the fact that even despite not playing their best hockey and despite not many people really thinking they can actually make, you know, a championship run, they're just, they're just kind of out of here doing it. Now, whether that's, you know, the other team has gotten tired or, or I don't know, whatever their defense has been bad. I, I think that that's kind of the overwhelming, or at least the, the takeaway that I'm going to have is that I think that the Knights offense has, has probably surprised the, the, their opposing teams a lot more than, than they, they originally thought. I mean, we talked about the Oilers who were scoring on an, an crazy clip and they're, you know, they're, they're, forwards and and um you know had I think had, had racked up like three of them had had been on the top five points in the entire playoffs as to per when you know they got knocked out there and it was like every game the Oilers or the the Knights were just scoring like five goals a game uh and and I think that you know the, the Oilers defense and Hayden made a great point about that the the defense and goaltending for the Oilers just kind of did them in in that series but 
then you come up against stars who, you know, right. I mean, they beat the wild, they beat the, they beat the Kraken in game seven. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, once you kind of get to a series like this, it's, it's really two teams that are, that are, you know, the best in the, uh, in the playoffs so far and, and right. Same thing, right. The golden Knights are just scoring at a crazy clip and, and, and the stars can't really do much. So I, obviously it's a very, very balanced team. You can tell just by the, by the way that their scores have been, you know, and, and, and they're also able to win those close games. And we talk about, you know, Overtime hockey is is probably the best, like however many minutes of that overtime period is, is probably the best few minutes that you're going to get in sports just because of how, you know, intense and, and pressure filled that that moment is. Uh, and, and they've been able to come away with it. And similar with the Panthers. That's why I'll, I'll kind of transition to them. And Hayden made a great point about Bobrovsky. You you notice and especially even just looking at the box scores for you know the past couple series for the Hurricanes, right? They played the Rangers and then they played the Devils. And in both of those series, they kind of dominated their opponent and were scoring like four or five goals a game. Many of the games that I was talking about earlier when I referenced like, oh, you turn on the game in the middle of the second period, you know, one team's already up four to one. A lot of those games were Hurricanes games where, you know, that they were they were scoring at a crazy clip and the other team really didn't, you know, was out of it kind of at the beginning of the game. And it's been the opposite with this with this uh, with this Florida Panthers series where. I mean, they're fast. They skate well. Um, the Hurricanes do, and and right, and and they've kind of just been shut down on, on all facets. So, uh, yeah. So, really echoing Hayden's points. I don't want to don't want to belabor it too much. We can move on to the next topic. All right, and the next topic is if you remember from the beginning of the episode, and if you've been listening since then, thank you very much. But next topic is PGA. So we had the PGA Championship this past weekend. Like I said, Brooks Kepka ended up winning it. Uh, for his fifth career major and third career PGA championship. That's pretty crazy. It was a pretty boring tournament overall, though. To, um, but and that was mostly due to Kepka's dominance. He was kind of in the lead for for most of the days there. Um, but this also cements Brooks Kep, uh, Brooks's legacy as one of the best golfers of all time. He's now trailing Phil Mickelson um, with five majors and his Phil Mickelson has six. And Rory, Rory McIlroy, he finally passed this past weekend. Roy McIlroy has four majors. And so now Kepka has five. So with this victory, you could say, you can make an argument that it kind of solidifies him, him as one of the best golfers of all time. Definitely one of the best golfers right now. He's probably climbed up a lot in the world rankings, um, you know, recently or as, as of late. So um, yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of, I'm going to let Matt chop it up here about the PGA. Cause he knows a lot more about golf than me. So uh, I'll let him talk first and then I'll kind of, kind of add a little bit of a, a fun part to this to this uh, topic if Matt doesn't do it for me. But yeah, go ahead, Matt. Well, yeah, no, I'm just going to kind of in general just talk about and I and I included the stats in there, right? The kind of he's he's one behind Phil. He's actually has more major championships than Rory McIlroy now because I don't think we think about him as one of those. We think about him as a top golfer, right? But we don't think about him as a legendary golfer who's won, you know, all of these majors. And and I think that's mostly because most of the tournaments he's won have been major. I think he's won three other or maybe four other tournaments. So he has more major wins than he does regular PGA Tour events. Now, he's also on Live, and, and he actually won a Live event the week before the Masters this year. So, you know, it, again, Live is just messing all of this stuff up in general. And that's that's just, what I guess, how it's going to be. Um, but, but yeah, but I think that I, I kind of wanted to point out the fact that, like, he either you you just he just kind of has been so dominant over the past you know few years and I think 
four of the five majors. The last time he won was in 2019. So I think over the span of 2017 to 2019, he won four out of like the 12 majors uh, in that kind of two years or, you know, two and a half year span. And then it's taken him five years or four years to win, you know, this, which would be his fifth. So I think that it's also because he, he hasn't had this kind of state of dominance for so long. He just had a really hot streak, similar to what Colin Morcar had, right? Who, you know, he won he won the uh, the PGA Championship and the and the Open Championship in the same year, and that was two. I mean, it'll be two years ago this summer, and he hasn't shown up really anywhere else since then, right? I mean, he's won maybe maybe one tournament on the PGA Tour, but he hasn't even been contention in these majors. He I means he missed the cut in the Masters. I think he. He made the cut here. I think he came in, you know, like top 20 or something. But that's, I think, something that I, that I think is is indicative of, of, or I guess kind of a mini version of what I feel like is kind of going on with Brooks Kepka, where he won a bunch in a in a very short span, but has still been a really good golfer ever since then. And obviously proves it now, kind of winning his, his fifth major. The other point here, and this is going to go along with the fact that he doesn't have many other PGA Tour victories. And he's kind of, he kind of has this, this, like reputation, I guess, around the PGA tour where he basically purposely doesn't try in a lot of these like lower tier events, like regular PGA tour events. And obviously, again, this is all coming with the caveat that he's on live now. So it's, it's all different. Right. Um, but, but in that span, I mean, the last major that he won before this was 2019. So in that span from 2019 to 2022, in those three years, I think he won the waste management, like once um, before Scotty Scheffler's now done it back to back. So it's almost like, and so he kind of has that mentality of like the, um, like the Allen Iverson meme of like the practice, like you're talking about practice where he doesn't really practice. And then he's, he's open about this and he says it. And it's almost like people think he's really cocky and arrogant. Cause he's like, yeah, I, I don't really practice. I don't really play in these smaller field events. Like I just kind of go to the majors and I play my best and I really win a lot. And I love that mentality. I, I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm not a super golf hard. Like I am a, I'm a very intense golf fan. I love golf, but I'm not the person who's going to be like shaming people over their tendencies when it comes to what fields they play in. All right. Because I don't really care that much. Um, but, but in general, I think that's such a cool mentality to have is like, Hey, I know that I'm just as good, if not better than pretty much everyone else out here. And if I can just play my normal game and have it be pretty good and good enough, I'm probably going to win. I'm probably going to win every major that I step foot in. Right. We saw him at the masters this year. He came in second. He was leading for most of the day. He was leading after 50, 54 holes, similar to what he was doing with the PGA uh, this past weekend. And obviously John Rom just had a crazy fourth round and, and, and ended up passing him right at the end there. But, but yeah, like, I mean, he's here to stay. He's competing. He's, you know, he's, he's just, he's a fierce competitor. Like you look at his face when he's walking down, you know, kind of the, that final round there. And he's just like, absolutely no emotions. Like he's, he's just a silent killer, uh, which I love. So yeah. So, so obviously Proxter Brooks kept in. And I think that like, I, I think too, you know, with all of the, with all the hype that Roy McIlroy gets and, oh, you know, he just needs to win uh, the masters before, you know, he can be able to, uh, you know, have the triple or the, um, the, uh, the career grand slam. And it's like, Every single major we get to is just like, oh, working Rory McIlroy is probably going to win, and it's like to some extent, and and we see him not do well in a lot of these tournaments. He missed the cut at the Masters. He played okay at the PGA. I think he came in, you know, came in the top ten. So, uh, but he's been doing that all the time. It hasn't really ever he came in second, solo second um, at, at the Open last year. So after after being fifty four hole leader, so 
there's there's so much that goes on. There's so much narrative and, and talk around Rory being the best golfer, you know, in golf. And obviously John Rahm is, is up there too. But but I think that, you know, everybody expects Rory to be one of the best golfers or probably win the tournament when it comes to pretty much every major on the calendar because his game fits so well to really any course that you can imagine. And he's won on all these courses before too. So, you know, he, he's definitely earned the the right to have that been, be thought about him. But it's just so much pressure, I think, going into every single weekend that he he's not able to live up to it because it's like unless you win the tournament, you're kind of going to be thought of as like this is a failure, right? Despite the fact that, right, he came in solo second at the Open um, last year. He came in, I don't exactly know what position it was, but he was definitely inside the top 10 at the PGA last week. We come away from that thinking like, oh, Rory didn't do well at all. You know, he came in eighth. Like, that's a failure, you know, and it's, it's I, I don't like this narrative that's going on, but at the same time, and he's kind of outspoken about stuff and whatever. I much prefer a guy like Brooks Brooks, who's like, yeah, I mean, you can hate me if you want, but I don't really need to practice that much because I'm just going to be better than everybody else anyway. And then he does it right. Cause he, he backs it up and he wins, uh, which I think is really cool. So um, yeah, so that's, I, that's kind of what I wanted to say, at least on the major front um, for, for Brooks, who's now right. I think is probably, I mean, right. Phil Mickelson for all the glory we have, he's won, I think, three masters, four masters, something like that. Uh, and, and Brooks is only one major championship behind him. And I think that Brooks are probably gonna be able to get one more major championship in his golf career. So, uh, yeah, so props to Brooks and, and obviously, you know, the Brooks versus Bryson thing is, is now now complete, even though they were actually both doing really well, Bryson also came in the top 10 here and they were actually paired up again or paired up with each other on Saturday. Um, so it's funny that that happened, but now they're both on live and I guess they made things work, but, um, yeah, I'm also hoping that live, doesn't exist in the future. I think it's not going to um, just really quick. They don't, they have a contract, a TV contract with the CW. Nobody's actually watching it. Everybody's still watching the PGA tour, despite the fact that there's way worse players or like on an overall basis on the PGA tour. Uh, but the, the TV, TV contracts, how you make all the money. And so, you know, like you can pay these live golfers however much money you want to, but if you're not making anything up on the back end by getting viewership of this, it's, it's not going to work. So I think that, their TV contract's going to run out with the CW. They're not going to be able to land anything else just because of the politics involved too around this whole thing. Um, and I think that they're probably going to dissolve in the next probably two or three years. And then we're going to get back to regular PGA Tour golf and I'm going to be very excited. Um, but yeah, that was just a small tangent on Liv. Hayden, what do you got on Brooks? Yeah, I, I don't have much on Brooks. I'm a pretty big Brooks Tepka fan. I think that oh, I You're going to talk about like Michael a, Block. Yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> I was going to talk about. Uh, but I, yeah, I am a big Brooks Tepka fan. I think I became even more of a Brooks Kepka fan after his beef with Bryson DeChambeau because I just don't like Bryson. And so it made me like Brooks more kind of by default. So that's, uh yeah, that, that's how that worked. And yeah, I'm really happy for him. And yeah, like Matt said, Silent Killer is like the perfect way to describe him. He just always calm, doesn't really show any emotion and he, he just wins. And he, again, in press conferences afterwards, he's, yeah, he's like, he's, the chillest guy you'll ever see in a press conference after he wins, he'll kind of just like sit there and be like, yeah, it was, it was good. I think I played pretty well. It's like, yeah, yeah you did. Yeah, um, you just won three yeah, and a half million dollars. Yeah, exactly. But yes, the guy that I want to briefly talk about is Michael block, uh, who, if you didn't hear, honestly, if, if you're not even a golf fan, you probably heard at least one story. You've probably heard of this guy's name over the past week. Even if you don't remember it, I'll refresh your brain a little bit. So he was, he's actually a club pro that got to play in the PJ championship. So it doesn't even have it. Like he doesn't have a tour card. He isn't a professional golfer technically, or he's not like a tour pro, I guess you could say. So there's a difference between tour pro and, and uh, just a club pro club pro is a guy that essentially helps run a golf course, like anywhere across the country. 
and he teach he gives lessons to people and he teaches he basically teaches the game of yeah, golf basically a coach yeah 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 exactly that's a very good way to describe it, Matt. um so it's like a coach playing in a game full of professionals so it's like you know an nba coach like joe mazula playing in the in the eastern conference finals almost it's kind of like that um, I, I think even even crazier because it's like Joe Mazzulla actually played, you know, high level D1 college basketball. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if he was actually in the NBA or not, but it's like, you could see where he, there'd be, it'd be possible for her to, for him to compete with like the best guys in the world. This is like, this is like your best, like high school player who is now like, he he only played in high school. He stopped playing after he stopped playing basketball in high school, worked his way up through the coaching ranks. And then he goes in the NBA and is just a star like that. It's yeah. like that level. Yeah, exactly. So to to kind of sum up where these guys usually land in the rankings of of playing in a major championship and being a club pro somebody that's not even technically a tour pro he he booked so he he told this story he booked his flight um back to home i forget where he lives but he booked his flight with his family back home i think after like saturday morning or something like that or maybe i think it was saturday no, it was morning saturday, he didn't, yeah after yeah, the cuz he didn't even he didn't even expect to make the cut uh because he was like yeah i'm not gonna make the cut whatever i'm gonna book my flight back home so he had to cancel that flight because he made the cut and then some um and yeah he ended up being i think going into the final round so day four he he went into that day being tied for 10th and being even overall which again is is nuts for a club pro like this guy um you know he's, he's kind of on the older side nobody expected him to do this and then he got paired up with Rory for the final day or something like that, which was, which is awesome to see. Another thing to note about this guy, just, I mean, he finished plus one overall. So he had a, so he went one over in his final round and he finished tied for 15th. So not that much worse than he came into the final day and yeah, a lot better than any other club pro has done in any recent major championship. So uh, yeah, very, very big props to him but the, the last thing that i'll say about michael block is that i saw this stat somewhere which i didn't even know that they ranked club pros in the the world rankings but apparently they do and so so he was three i think he was like three thousand five hundredth entering the the pj championship after the pj championship he's now 576 or something like that so he went up three thousand ranks in in the world rankings and he's he's still ranked 576 but like after one weekend you you go up 3000 ranks which again you, like you wouldn't even expect a guy like him wouldn't even expect to go up 100 ranks from being ranked 3500 so yeah it's pretty pretty cool pretty cool stuff there for Michael Block he also in the final round he had a dunk hole in one like one of those oh, yeah, where, dude, and you I probably forgot. Yeah, you probably saw this yeah. in on Sports Center or like on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Where, yeah, he hits the ball on a par three and it literally doesn't hit the ground. It doesn't hit the flag stick. It just goes directly into the hole, which is like the most like it's like if that happens, that's like a once in a lifetime thing for any golfer anywhere to do that in like on a professional stage. Much less this guy who was already having like the absolute weekend of his life, like a once in a lifetime yeah. thing where it would this is not even possible. And and then right, and then he has a dunk hole in one. It's like that's insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that was that's just like it's just so funny. Yeah, like Matt said, he just has the like perfect weekend. Yeah, the like once in a lifetime weekend, and then he just dunks a hole in one yeah. in the final round. It's like mo- most professional golfers probably haven't done that in their entire lives. Oh, yeah. And this guy's just like, and this yeah. guy just does it like on the biggest stage when he's having the best like time, best golf, golf, like 
he's ever been played. He's ever played in his entire life. And then he's just yeah. like, yeah, that, that's you. That's how, you know, you're on a heater. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's move into our last segment, which is rundown. So the first, we got four topics here for rundown. Um, the first one is about formula one. As you guys see in the title, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Monaco Grand Prix coming up this weekend. But if you didn't know the, uh, the Italian Grand Prix last weekend was, was canceled due to excessive flooding, which isn't really surprising for Italy. I just think of Venice whenever I think of Italy. So, um, you know, if you don't know what Venice is, there's high levels of water at almost all times of the year, but yeah, excessive flooding, the, uh, it was, it was deemed unsafe for the drivers and everybody else involved in formula one. And so, um, they didn't end up racing at, in Italy, but the Monaco grand prix is, uh, this weekend and it's, you know, kind of like the, not kind of, it is the most well-known grand prix, um, across F1. It's probably the most recognizable track to anybody that, that doesn't really watch formula one or only watches a little bit. So, um, I'm going to ask Matt here, do we think the Monaco grand prix is in jeopardy? Uh, I think this question is kind of maybe a little bit outdated because we've wrote this topic a little bit ago, but, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's like a sure thing that the Monaco Grand Prix yeah. is going to happen. But what do we, what do we think of the Monaco Grand Prix? Just a little bit of a preview here for, for those Formula One fans out there. Yeah. It's, it's still going to, ha- I wrote this earlier. I wrote this a couple of days ago when like it was, I mean, they were still at Imola and they were trying to get out and they were like, wait, we have to move these, we have to move cars. <laughs> and it's like absolutely flooded. Um, they were able to, to get it. So we're actually are going to have a Grand Prix this week, which would, which would have been, I would have been devastated if we didn't. Um, but, but yeah, so it, it, luckily they're going to do it and it is confirmed now that they will. Um, yeah. As Hayden mentioned, Monaco is the, the premier it's, it's, it's everything that formula one is with the glitz and glamor and wealth and money and in a crazy little city, but very rich people all around. And the yachts are in the yacht club on the, on the water there, they drive underneath a tunnel. That's a casino. Like it's the, it's just everything that you could dream as like, this is, this is what I guess European royalty should be. Uh, anyway, it, it's, it's not a good race though. Right. And that's the, that's the overwhelming point here is the fact that the, 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 the track is small. It's a street track, but it's like even less than a normal street, like they normal street tracks, they still kind of make it, you know, like a kind of a two lane road becomes one lane because these cars are so big, but Monaco physically cannot fit like the, the width of the cars in the street circuit that they run. So there's barely any overtaking. There's barely, barely any passing in the race and there's really not ever really that much drama uh in terms of you know kind of oh he's gonna pass this guy on the last lap or whatever so realistically there's gonna be qualifying on saturday morning the results from that qualifying are gonna heavily influence what the results from the race are gonna be uh but again it's it's the monaco grand prix you gotta watch it it's gonna be great it's it's early though i thought it was usually like later on at least or like they kind of matched up but it's at 8 a.m our time eastern standard time which we're gonna have to wake up a little early for that on Sunday, but whatever. Um, it's Memorial Day anyway, so um, or in preparation of. And then the, the Indy 500 is also this week. It's also on Saturday, Sunday as well. So you get a you, you'll get a lot of racing in this week, a lot of racing watching in this weekend. You get you got the Formula One Monaco Grand Prix uh, at 8 a.m. and then the the Indy 500 uh, Indian. Well, it's the Indy cars that race in the Indianapolis 500. Um, that's I think at, at 12 or one or something like that. So just just turn your t- turn your TVs on and, and watch racing on Sunday. All right. And yeah, I don't really have much to say about the Monaco Grand Prix other than there's not going to be much overtaking at all. So yeah, that's, that's a very good point by Matt. 
Uh, second topic here is National Treasure. The horse won the Preakness Stakes, eliminating Mage from the Triple Crown attempt. Bob Baffert. Uh, this is a guy that I know Matt's probably gonna <laughs> probably gonna talk a lot about. I don't really know much about horse racing either, so I'm gonna let Matt take on this topic as well. Carry this uh, this first part of the rundown here. But Bob Baffert, Matt, tell us about him. He's the trainer of National Treasure, um, and it seems like nobody can stop this guy. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the most famous horse trainer in the world. Um, he has the most Kentucky Derby wins. He has the most, I mean, Preakness. Most, he, he's won basically the most horse races of anybody. Uh, and, he, and, he's, and he has the most famous horse race winners um, of that too. He has, I think, two of the four total Triple Crown winners, uh, which in a horse racing, when you win the Triple Crown, it's the Kentucky Derby, Preakness Stakes, and then the Belmont Stakes, um, which I think has only happened four or five times in the history of the world. And Bob Baffert is, he's, he's trained, I think, two of them. And then I think um, this was, I think, his ninth Preakness win, which is the most ever. I think he has six Kentucky Derby wins, which is the most ever. So the the controversy comes in the fact that he, a couple years ago, um, he had a horse called, oh boy, I'm going to forget the name. Um, was it, it wasn't Maximum Security. It was the guy after, it was the one after him. Um, whatever. I'm not going to remember it, but it, you'll probably remember they, he won the race at 12 to one. He was a very big underdog and he won the race. And then they tested him afterward. Basically he'd been steroid. He was like giving the horse steroids and all this stuff. Um, and, and so he got banned from the Kentucky Derby for the last two years. And that was just a whole big thing where, okay, you know, it's this great trainer, this guy who's been, you know, dominating the sport and, and he hadn't broken any rules really up until the last few years. But then it's basically like when you're at your peak and you're already the best at the wor- best in the world at your respective job and sport and, and, you know, hobby, I guess, horse racing. Um, and then you decide to break the rules and drug your horses. And there's all these, and it's like, there's things about where he's like, not being nice to the animal, whatever. Um, I, I again, I, I didn't, I, I'm not I'm not deep enough into it to know like exactly all the details of it, but I just know the fact that right. It's it's so funny because it's like the the Kentucky Derby has banned Bob Baffert from entering any of his races or his horse races in there. Um, his his horses in the races uh, for the last three years, and is like for the first time he's eligible to come back for the Preakness. His horse wins, and it's just like you, you can't stop this guy no matter what. And he's not like I, I mean they they do all the tests and everything afterwards. So like this horse wasn't on drugs or anything, but um, yeah, it's just so funny because it's like no matter where. No matter what they try to do, this guy is just always going to come back from the grave and 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 his horses are always going to win. Yeah, rich white dude. That's what Bob Baffert is. So uh, yeah. moving on to the next the next part of this or next topic of this segment. Um, I always get those words mixed up. Like I, I can't can't I can never think of the right word at the right time when I'm saying topic or segment. But next one here, third three out of four is the NFL just approved of a new emergency QB rule where all teams will have the ability to maintain a third QB on their team without worrying about him using up a roster spot. So if you don't know already, each NFL team uh, can have a total of, well, has to have a total of 53 players on their team entering the season. They can kind of play around with that, bring guys up off the practice squad. If, if one guy gets hurt, they can put on what's called IR, which is injured, injured reserve, which means that they can essentially like dismiss him from the team for at least I think it's four weeks is the, is the cutoff is like the least amount of weeks that you can have a guy on IR. And then you can bring a guy up from the practice squad and add another guy to your team to make it 53 guys after you eliminate that one IR dude. Um, and you can kind of just play around with that throughout the season, but you have to have three 53 guys on your roster at all times. And so every team, every NFL team has that. Um, but 
the one thing is, and I guess it's kind of been a problem. I, I didn't really know that this was a problem before now, but there's been, a, there's been a problem essentially with like, you know, QBs not, not teams not having enough actual QBs on their team because you don't really like you think, obviously, you know, you know, there's so many rules to protect the QB nowadays that you think, okay, my QB is going to be okay. Right. Like as, as long as they're not running around and getting popped in the head, like Cam Newton or Lamar Jackson, you're not really worried about your QB getting hurt as much because there is so much protect protect protection over them in the pocket nowadays. But the cube, I mean, the NFL, I guess, felt bad for teams that were only having two actual QBs on their roster um, that they added this new rule, emergency QB rule, where they can have a third QB on the roster without actually being without him actually using up a spot on the roster so that they can have that extra spot to fill elsewhere with, you know, with like an O lineman or a receiver or defensive player who gets hurt more often than a QB does. So um, I think it's pretty cool. But again, I think that with all of the protections that they're putting on QBs already, I don't know why they're adding this last spot. That's kind of, that was my initial reaction to this news was like, since they're already protecting QBs so much in the backfield, and they're just making it more egregious and harder for the defense to sack the QB or, or to, you know, sack the QB in the correct way. Um, why do we need a third QB that's not even going to take up a roster spot and just make it easier for teams to do? I, I don't know. It just kind of defeats the purpose of the rule of the roster limit, in my opinion. Well, I can answer your question for you, Hayden. Um because this rule was implemented and instigated by one and one thing only. That was the NFC Championship this past year when the 49ers played the Philadelphia Eagles and the 49ers had all three of their quarterbacks knocked out and and uh, they had Christian McCaffrey back there throwing passes like he was a four-year-old. So that it, that was the entire reason that this role uh, was implemented in the first place was be, was to prevent instances from that happening. I think it was, I think it was almost a good thing that it happened on such a large stage being that it was the NFC Championship in a game where Anything, literally anything could happen. But as soon as you see Brock Purdy go out, on top of the fact that he was already their third string quarterback, right? Um, the, the 49ers now had no chance in that game. And 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 you know, right, if Brock Purdy had been healthy the whole time, obviously the Eagles were still, I think, were still favored, but uh, and they had home field advantage. So yeah, they you know very well could have won that game, but would have at least been it would have been a game. It would have been more evenly matched uh, if the 49ers were able to have this rule in place. So that's why this rule was implemented. And I, and I like it. I agree with it um, because right. You, you shouldn't, it's, it's, it was almost an embarrassment. It was almost like you almost felt bad. Like for like, it was like Chris McCaffrey goes back to, to snap the ball. And you're like, this is happening in an actual NFL game in an FC championship game, like the game for the Super Bowl. This is what's happening. Like this is where we've come. So I'm glad that they did this just because it, it'll at least, I mean, the point that they want to make is like, okay, this at least doesn't have to, that, that doesn't have to happen again, but we can also verify the fact that like, you know, we won't have to hear it from these teams because really, I mean, 49ers fans have the argument that like, you know, they legitimately could have had an argument to win the Super Bowl last year, uh, but because of this rule, they weren't allowed to, right? Or because this rule had not been a thing, uh, they weren't allowed to. So I don't I mean, I don't think it's that deep. I think the Chiefs would have still won regardless, but um but right, that's that's kind of the implementation of or the why this rule uh, came into the first place. Does that make sense? Hayden? Yes, makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I, I still kind of hold my position, though. It, I don't know. Like, I, I think I was just kind of unlucky by the 49. Like that. 
I mean, that happened. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, but it's like when it when it happens on such a big stage like that, like it, it rendered the game unwatchable. And because you knew you already knew what team was going to win and in the entire rest of the game. I mean, that was an entire afternoon that I spent on the couch like, oh, wow, this is I could I completely it was just a waste of time. Uh, now, obviously, right. If if that extra roster spot is used by, you know, which ended up being Josh Johnson, who's not going to win the game anyway, and you're already on your fourth yeah. string quarterback, it might not change the outcome. But there's at least a a, a player, a person whose name is not Christian McCaffrey that's gonna be able to play quarterback for you. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Moving on to our last topic of the last segment of the day. LeBron had some interesting comments regarding his stance on sharing the court with Bronny in the NBA one day after their loss and exit from the playoffs on Monday after they got swept. So if you didn't know this already, LeBron uh, earlier in the NBA season essentially told the media in, in like in a press conference, I think it was that he wants to share the court with Bronny one day in the NBA. Like he wants to play either on the same team as Bronny. Ideally, he would definitely make that happen if Bronny were to make it to the NBA while LeBron was still playing. He would, because he's the GM. So, you know, he, he would make it happen one way or another. But now, <clears throat> after their loss to the Nuggets, he, uh, he kind of switched that narrative a little bit. He essentially came out and said, like, yes, it's always been my goal to play with Bronny in the NBA, but Bronny has his own agenda, or Bronny can have his own agenda, and he can do whatever he wants that fit his own goals. It's, it was something like a little bit cryptic like that, essentially saying like, you know, I said that earlier in the year, but Bronny can do whatever he wants. And I also might not be in the league by then. That's what a lot of people took it as. So I'm wondering what Matt took it as. I, do we think that LeBron's going to, this could be a conversation for another day too. We can kind of talk about this like later on in the summer when we don't have much to talk about when both NBA and NHL playoffs are over and we only have baseball to talk about really in July. So um, yeah, I'm wondering what Matt thinks if, if, you know, maybe this can be a hint at LeBron retiring because I think it might be, but we'll have to see. Um, I think that he'll probably have a uh, uh, what was it called? Like a, a farewell tour. That's what it's called. I think he'll probably have a farewell tour season, but I also think that, and this goes back to one of our rundown talk about topics last episode, which was the fact that Bronny probably won't be in the NBA in the next two years. So, and that's what it would, re- LeBron would be required to play two more years in the NBA in order to even have a chance at playing with Bronny, which would bring him to 40 years old as an NBA player. So Matt, what do you think? I think I'm right. We talked about this a month ago when we talked about Bronny signing with USC. And I said, He's not that good. Like he's a good player, but he's not going to be a starting caliber NBA player. And and okay, fine. You get on the court together. That's a dream. Good. Maybe it can happen. It probably won't though, because either a Bronny's not going to be good enough to make it to the NBA to a starting NBA roster or B LeBron's not going to make it until when Bronny is eligible or I guess good enough to make it on a starting NBA roster. So I I already called this a month ago. I'm going to keep saying it till I guess whenever, you know, it actually comes true, but I want it on record that I was the first person to think of this and to make this take. And that I think this is only, this is only confirmation that I'm probably go. I, I was probably right in the first place. Um, So, so I'm just waiting for all of it to come true. And, and my, my mischievous take will, will actually come to fruition. Yes. I, I totally agree with you, Matt. And I, I think that you are right up the alley of uh being 
quite the profit here for for telling Bronny's future. I, I, again, we he might turn into an NBA caliber player. We see it sometimes with high school players coming out and just going off in college. But yeah, he's probably not going to be a one and done because he's not. I don't think he's really one of the top top players in his class. And if he is, he, he might be like I don't know top ten. But if he is, he, like, no, he honest. was like in the he was in the top one hundred, but he wasn't like. He wasn't anywhere near the top 10. Okay. Yeah. And even if he is high ish, like, you know, top 50, uh, it's more because of his name than anything else. Like, let's be honest. If, if his name wasn't Bronny James and if he wasn't LeBron James's son, he'd probably be out of the top hundred. So that's, uh, that's going to end off the episode there. There you go. I'm just kidding. I'm, you know, Bronny's, we, we have no, no personal like indictment or whatever. I don't even know. Indictment. I think <laughs> against Bronny. Um, but yeah, that's that's gonna be You're a, talking about a vendetta. Then indictment yes. is when you it's it's well when you get indicted for a crime or it's it's like a uh a bad sign that you did something badly. Like it's a staggering indictment that Hayden didn't know the word indictment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um yeah. So Dang it's it. time to go. Yeah, it's really time. It's really time to really time ago okay so with that being said yes we are going to end the podcast here uh thank you guys for listening so much we appreciate you guys i'm gonna gonna try to ramp up these episodes for the rest of the summer here i am officially working have my summer work plans all set and ready to go i am still working for uva football over the summer so um if any recruits out there that are you know maybe like a six two cornerback 190 pounds maybe reach out to me um <laughs> and we may uh, have you up to camp this june but yeah let's uh let, let's end off the podcast here and um hope you guys have a great rest of the week we will probably be back on yeah sometime this weekend most likely because i'll be home in richmond this weekend and so matt and i will probably get an episode out hopefully saturday or something like that so um maybe towards the end of you know i don't know the, the playoff series are kind of up in the air right now, so I can't even really predict what's going to happen by then, but we'll see. We'll see what we can get uh, put together for this weekend. So yeah, try to or expect an episode. We will try to get an episode out this weekend um, because yes, posting twice a week is the goal for the summer. So it always has been. So uh, with that being said, hope you guys have a great rest of the week and we'll see you hopefully this weekend.